0: The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hello, and welcome to Spectrumly Speaking. I'm Haley Moss, an attorney, author, artist, and I'm also autistic. And today I am joined here by my co-host. Hi, I'm Dr. Lori Butts. I'm a psychologist and an attorney. How are you doing? Good. How about yourself? All good. Somehow we are just chugging along. I don't know how it's no longer March at this point. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like it's been March for, you know, a couple months now, but <laughs> apparently it's not. Right but just f- tying up some writing projects, all sorts of fun stuff over here. Great, great. What about you? Uh, Working
1: telehealth and doing everything via um, teleconferencing. So it's busy time, but it's good. I feel like everything is still over Zoom. <laughs> it is. Getting it is. sick Which, of it. I'm not sick of it. I'm, I, I have to say I'm not, so. Um, I get, you know, it gets a little tiring during Mm -hmm. the day, but um, I don't, I don't mind it. So
0: I feel kind of similar. So like what I've noticed is people stop following the dress codes for Zoom at this point (laughs) is I'm used to all the attorneys being like business casual, business professional. Now everyone's basically like in t-shirts and pajamas and showing off their bedroom. And I'm like, okay, Uh, uh, (laughs) everyone's hit like the chill point.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know about that. That seems a little inappropriate,
2: but.
0: I mean, no one's, we're not all in court, so it's okay. Right.
2: Right. I think well, for court, it definitely I've been listening into your conversation about the attire and <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, my computer is in the kitchen, but I really try to keep it cleaned up and I have on work attire, at least on the top half. <laughs> you know, I think there's a certain Th- discipline Th- that I, for me, getting up, and getting dressed for work uh helps my attitude too.
0: Absolutely. Oh, definitely. On,
2: they don't have to be my best work clothes but have on uh, clothes that I'd go see a client in.
0: Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Exactly.
2: Well, in my field it wouldn't be, you know, it's business ca- more business casual cuz I'm out in meat plants and construction sites and things like that but I I saw somebody in their underwear one time. Oh (laughs) You've got to be kidding. What a world. I think we're all trying to
0: cope with this changing landscape of virtual. So as much as things have been changing in our world, we have one thing that's a consistent, and I know Dr. Butts and I could speak to this, is that Spectrumly Speaking is probably one of the highlights of what we do in our personal and professional lives. And we're celebrating 100 episodes so to celebrate our 100 episodes today, we have a very special guest. If you've been listening in a little bit today, you probably already know. But we have with us Dr. Temple Grandin. And Dr. Grandin, of course, is a world-renowned autism self-advocate, author, and speaker. She is also a prominent proponent for the humane treatment of livestock for slaughter and author of more than 60 Scientific Papers on Animal Behavior. We are so honored to have you, Dr. Grandin, and welcome to the show. It's
2: really, really great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us. Honestly, this is really, really exciting, and I've been looking forward to this the entire week, so thank you for joining us. And yes, thank
1: you very much.
0: Of course, to get everybody excited, and because we do follow tradition around here, we always like to begin by asking people a little bit about their involvement in the community. And can you share with our audience about how you received your autism diagnosis?
2: Well, I'm, I was 73 just a week ago. and oh, um, Happy birthday. I,
1: happy birthday. I,
2: back in 1949, when I was diagnosed, nobody hardly knew what autism was. I was taken to a neurologist who said I had brain damage because they didn't know what else to call it. Found out I did not have epilepsy. I was not deaf. But fortunately, it referred me to a really good speech therapy school that two teachers just taught in their home. So I got excellent on um, early intervention, which I, I can't emphasize how important that was. And I had no speech until age four. When I was three years old, I was completely nonverbal and looked pretty severe, but there was no evidence of seizures
0: I I didn't start talking until I was four either, but definitely a different time period for me. So I was diagnosed in 1997, so a little bit of a different world. Yeah, that's right. A
1: lot of a different world, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Dr. Granin, can you speak a lot about the value of mentors? Can you speak about the role of mentors to you when you were growing up?
2: Yes, I had a very, very good science teacher. I was a student in high school that didn't study, wasn't interested in studying. I actually got kicked out of ninth grade for throwing a book that was at a regular high school, ended up going to special boarding school for, you know, kids with uh, problems. And for the first three years, I basically ran the school's horse barn and I didn't do any studying, but I cleaned nine stalls every day. And then Mr. Karloff, my science teacher came on the scene and he started giving me really interesting projects to work on. I was really interested in optical illusions and, and what he did is make studying, become a pathway to a goal. Instead of just studying for the sake of grades, you studied because that was the path to becoming a scientist. And he was a very influential mentor. And I had him in high school and I was still seeing him on weekends when I was in college. And that was really good, having that as a bridge. He was a very super important mentor and he was shown beautifully in the HBO movie.
0: Wow. That is really cool. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I can ask a bunch of questions about the HBO movie, but probably not, probably
2: for a later time. Okay. Well, the one thing about it, it shows my visual thinking completely accurately. Exactly how I think it shows it right. Oh,
0: wow. So backwards in times pre-movie, what led you to decide to share your experience with autism, especially before society really knew what it was? So we know now a lot of people definitely know what autism is, and I'm sure the movie has to contribute to that too. Well, so, you
2: know, the way but in the uh, early uh, '80s, um, I was doing some talks at some occupational therapy conferences, and the person that was organizing those conferences knew a small publisher out in California on um, uh, academic therapy publications, and they were interested in doing. Book about my wife, and that would be Emergence Labeled Autistic, mm-hmm. which uh, Bernard, Bernard uh, Rimland said was sort of unprecedented because it told about what being autistic was like. Mm-hmm. That was published in the mid 80s, and I was approached basically by the publisher to do that book. That's how that started. Wow. And then in the mid 90s, I did Thinking in Pictures. Again, after Oliver Sacks had written about me in the New Yorker magazine, um, an agent named Pat Brinan approached me about doing a book, and we got a proposal together. And that's how Thinking Pictures came about in the mid-90s.
1: Can you talk a bit about how you've seen the autism community recognize women on the spectrum and where you think it can still improve?
2: Well, women uh, don't seem to have uh, masks or symptoms more along a lot of a uh, women on the autism spectrum are getting into bad marriages and relationship issues. Um, you know, I've chosen to stay single. My life kind of revolves around intellectual complexity. I run away from emotional complexity because I don't understand it. Right. But some of my best friends were kind of intellectual soulmates, love to talk about scientific stuff. Um, in my consulting business, I really like solving problems. Somebody has a problem with their cattle. I figure out how to solve it. Or a parent may call me and say, "Well, what would you do about this child? He's you know, a vacuum cleaner makes him scream. What do I do about it?" And then I'll tell them, I'd "Let the kid control it, where they turn that vacuum cleaner on and off, where they control that noise, and they might uh, end up liking the vacuum cleaner."
1: Right.
2: Well, that's an example of problem solving, mm-hmm. and especially I've had I've gotten emails where a mom has said my ki- kid went to college because of your book. I mean that makes me really happy yeah. that a book that I wrote helped a kid be successful. Yeah, you know I really like hearing about you know successful um, outcomes. That's also kind of an engineering mentality because I've yeah. uh, worked in the construction industry for years. I would sell a job, do the drawings, I've uh, supervise construction, and then start equipment up, and you have got to finish projects and you have to make them work. It's about an outcome that's a decent outcome
0: that is super interesting and i know you were mentioning that you're still working on more writing and you're also still doing working on consulting and whatnot so how are you doing with this whole pandemic and what tips do you have for folks on the spectrum that are having trouble with all the changes and uncertainty and obviously everybody's routine kind of got threw off
2: well on march 12th i had my last flight and on March 13th, they closed our university. All my travels been canceled all the way through December. I mean, this is a great big, gigantic change for me. And one of the things I learned that helped me is get up in the morning, showered and dressed for work by eight o'clock. Right, you know, right. I've been hearing about um, people in pajamas and underwear on Zoom conferences. No, no, you need to get up, take a shower, and be dressed for work. And, and I find that when I do that, I feel a whole lot better. And then I immediately go, well, I got to get my classes online. Ah, I got a week to do this. <laughs> and I got my graduate students to help me. I have a really good computer person. We came in and redid all the computer equipment. I uh, bought some of the last video equipment and microphones. Last one that Best Buy had, we bought it because I moved very fast because all of that equipment immediately was stripped right. from the warehouse. I. Uh, one of the things I've learned from the construction industry is sometimes you have to move and you have to move extremely decisively <clears throat> and move fast. And I did that. And uh, we got the last microphone that was in Best Buy's storeroom and they didn't know they had it. <laughs> found it, it was found, my computer guy found it on the web and says, I know you have it and it's in that storeroom. You know, it, they, um, you know, it was a huge change. But I found that getting up and getting dressed for work helped a whole lot. It seems like a simple thing. But after I get out of that shower and I dry myself off and I put on a shirt that's something I'd wear at work, I felt a whole lot better. Now, I have to admit, I've got some shoes that definitely I would not wear to work. <laughs> and I had to go into the university and I made and I was all dressed for work and I made a mistake wearing these dumpy shoes. That and I got, I'm here with the provost and I got shoes with paint on them. Now, it was a virtual conference, so they never saw him, but <laughs> I like, okay, I shouldn't have worn those shoes actually into the university. No, it's a huge change. And, and what you've got to do with a kid is make a new schedule. Um, you've got to you know, shift gears and, and, and make a new schedule. And I immediately just started, every time I got a chance to do a Zoom conference, I was doing it. Um, you know, and we were locked down for a month. No, it was really hard on, on a lot of people. Still, I feel like it's still really hard. Well, I'm get. I have problems with getting bored. And one of the things I've had to do is I've called up Betsy, um, she's my editor and my book agent, I said, let's write a new book. And right <laughs> now we're working on a new book on why visual thinking is important. Well, in autism, you've got visual thinkers like me, which was shown really well in the movie, then you have the mathematical thinkers, right. they're out in Silicon Valley, uh, uh, giving us technologies like Zoom, and then you have the word thinkers. And I've worked in, in construction industry and building things for years. And the visual thinkers often don't get enough credit for the things they do. Like a person labeled as draftsman is laying out an entire food processing plant. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to be uh, writing about how we need visual thinking because I said, I've got to have a project or I'm going to absolutely, you know, go crazy with boredom. And Betsy was telling me how her people, uh, uh, you know, handling this. She's, she works with a lot of authors. She said, some authors have never been more productive. There's other authors that just don't know how to get started.
0: So yeah, when, I, this is so exciting. So do you know when we can expect this new book on visual thinking? I'm very excited. So well, we're
2: trying, you know, trying to get, you know, because we, we have vast amounts of time now where we would have nothing to do. <laughs> and, and uh, now I've got my class online. That's been an experience. And I spend, uh, you know, that takes me about an hour and a half a day to write on the chat boards. I try to do that every day.
0: Mm-hmm. And then we
2: have conferences. And uh, that takes a certain amount of time. That's been a learning experience. And, and the thing to do is to find new things that they can do. Uh, home Depot has never sold more construction materials. Uh, gardening stuff is getting bought in gra- great, vast quantities. These are things that people can do at home. Also, let's take the time to teach a whole lot of life skills. You know, you can learn all the life skills um, when they're at home. Let's make the best of it. Right now, what some families are doing is they're forming quarantine groups. We might have two families or three families that get together and they do school. And they take turns teaching. And then you have to be very careful that somebody doesn't bring COVID into that group. Mm -hmm. You'll have to be really careful about where they go. So those are... uh, no, that's a huge adjustment. And I think one of the things that helped me, having been so many years in the construction industry, you always have things out on a project that are changing all the time. Yes. And you have to do something about it. Right. And try to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. So the, my construction stuff just kicked right in in terms of getting equipment. I moved. I knew this, everybody would run out of the equipment. And yeah. I moved fast. Because that's something you do in the construction industry. You don't want to go nuts and go ah and just run around like 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 a chicken with your head cut off. You don't want to do that, mm-hmm. but you want to try to move decisively but quickly.
1: Right, and that's that tends to be uh, you know one of the hallmark difficulties with autism is changing sets and shifting and responding quickly to change and things like that. But. Um, what I'm hearing you say is that if you practice and practice and practice that you get that you can build that skill within yourself.
2: Now the thing I still can't do and I was just is um, I get uh, criticized for interrupting uh, conversations during interviews and I know I do this (laughs) and part of the problem is I can't figure out the timing. I have slow processor speed. Okay I know uh, no, no worries been-
0: this isn't this is an, an autistic friendly podcast. it's it's uh, half uh, of uh, us is autistic uh, and we appreciate all the conversation and having fun with people. so
2: I have problems with timing you know the uh, the my, my mind doesn't go super fast. Um, I find um, I don't like to watch stand-up comedians because by the time I get one joke, he's told two more oh, <laughs> and it just goes by me too fast.
1: right mm-hmm. Makes sense.
2: So that's not a form of entertainment. I mean, I like to hear a funny joke, but then, but then go through some other scene in the movie so I can process the joke.
1: Right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense.
2: Because I do have problems with multitasking. And this brings up the whole issue of driving. It's mm-hmm. going to take a whole lot longer. I did 200 miles on dirt roads before I touched traffic. My Mm -hmm. aunt's mailbox was three miles away. So every day I had six miles of practice on dirt roads. A lot more practice is required in totally safe places to get the operation of that vehicle into motor memory Mm -hmm. before you do traffic. (laughs) Driver's head shoves them into it way, way too quickly. If I hadn't learned to drive, I would not have had a career in the livestock industry. Right, right that makes a lot of sense
0: I'm I'm actually starting to drive again so I'm a really nervous driver just in general and because things are slower outside and also just it's I have a lot of time I'm like I'm gonna start relearning to drive and make sure that I'm better at it I just can't figure out how to park which has been my kind of Achilles heel for the last 10 years of my life so
2: well now is the to- time Fortunately, um, I didn't have to parallel park when I did my driver's test, but I did flunk the first one. But right now you've got all the deserted office parks right now. Yeah. And nobody's there. Those are perfect places to practice, you know, but I'd recommend for a lot of individuals when they start middle of a giant parking lot.
0: That's how I learned when I was 16. I mean, it's not that I don't know how to drive. I just can't figure out the spatial like relationships of the parking spots. So usually I just park really far
2: away, but I want to get better at it. Well, yeah, and then some driving tests will make you do the parallel parking. I managed to get out of that. There's no I, parallel but,
0: parking in Florida. I have no clue how to parallel park, and hopefully, I never.
2: Will. <laughs> hopefully, you never have to. But the thing that the most that's nowhere near as important to learn as as just dealing with traffic. Right. And right. and the way that basically in the autistic brain is you got a your slow processor. If you were a computer, you got the cloud for memory, but if you're but you're only an Intel 286 chip. That's the first. Uh, you know, PC. And so you have a small processor capacity. So you have trouble with uh, multitasking. So the deal with the traffic, you've got to get that operation of that car into your motor memory where you don't have to think about it. And that's gonna take some time driving just in really safe places, a whole lot.
1: Makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm.
2: But start out in some place where if the car lurches forward, you're not gonna hit something. I learned on a three-speed manual shift, what they call three on the tree. No mm-hmm. oh, wow with a really really bad clutch i started in the middle of the horse pasture <laughs> nothing <laughs> to hit
1: hopefully the horses were in their Well stall. the horses
2: took off <laughs> so there it was, it was absolutely nothing to hit when they saw me started lurching around that truck they were nowhere around no that's the kind of place that you start in. you know i didn't start trying to back out of the uh, driveway where i would have rammed through the patio gate that's where you don't start. <laughs> <Right>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> my, my mother once uh, lost control of her car and ran up getting the, the car on top of the pool pump, you know, we live in South Florida and her car. My father was like, how, how did this happen? He couldn't figure out the, the spatial engineering <laughs> of how that could have even happened, but the clutch oh or something. And she just went right on top of it. And the car well, like, my, like, my
0: favorite is when I, when I was a kid, sometimes I think when I was a teenager, my mom had one of those cars that had a backup camera and beepers. And mm-hmm. somehow she was backing down the driveway and she ends up hitting the mailbox and it like dents the, b- the back of the car. My dad's like, how did you not know you were hitting the mailbox? You had the the camera that was clearly showing the mailbox coming into view and your car is beeping like constantly because it beeps within, when it gets within like two inches of literally anything. It's always beeping. And like how, and we're both like, how did you not know that you were hitting the mailbox? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> Especially when you have all those extra sensory inputs, like- Visuals and cameras, looking over your shoulder, beepers right. and lights and
2: Well, I'm fine, I find that those beepers. I have a car that beeps um, like I go to the drive uh, drive up window. I was at Wendy's, I picked up some salads and go up the driver's window, up to the drive window normally, and the car's beeping the whole time I'm doing the transaction. Wow. And so now I've learned and I'm not hitting anything. I have to I can't I gotta get up close to the window or I can't hand a credit card to Right. It. Right. I was at the correct distance. So then I have to learn a certain amount of beeping it does when I back out of my garage I got to ignore right. because I'm not going to hit the side of the garage and and it almost beeps too much. Right, right. And then you start to screen it out. When I first got that car, that beeping just drove me nuts. <laughs> and then I kind of learned when to ignore it and, and I rely a lot more on the camera. I look at the camera.
1: Right.
2: Again, rather the- than listening to the beeping.
0: right. <laughs> So just just because I, d- I want to also respect your time, Dr. Grandin, First off, one question for our listeners. So obviously we're all big fans of you, and a lot of us have been following you since once upon a time. I know my mom had Emergence on the bookshelf when I was growing up. And of course, how can people find out more about you and get your books and see what you're up to?
2: Well, um, they can go. Amazon's got all my books. Um, also. Um templegrandon.com has got a lot of my books. If, if you're interested in livestock, of grandon.com, that's my livestock site. It has got my books. Now, I would recommend for parents that have a young child just recently diagnosed to get one of my books called The Way I See It. It's called The Way I See It. It's mm-hmm. a lot of little short chapters. They can skip around in it. They don't have to read it cover to cover. And i um, that would, there's a chapter in there about the driving, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a chapter about early intervention, about some of the sensory problems, like letting the child control that vacuum cleaner, where they control it, that sound. Mm-hmm. And then they may f- actually start to like playing with the vacuum cleaner. Uh, just a whole lot of uh, practical, um, uh, practical things like that. And Thinking in Pictures is my autobiography and when, I've, when I was younger, I used to think everybody on the autism spectrum thought in pictures. That's actually wrong. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: there's one uh, type that thinks in pictures like me. And then you have the more mathematical type. They think in patterns, not pictures. Mm-hmm. And then you have the word thinker. This is the kid that loves history and facts and, and words. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the autism spectrum is a kid will be good at one thing and bad at something else. We need to have a lot more emphasis on building up the thing that they can be really good at. That's what we need to be doing. Right. Right. And we also have to start teaching work skills. That's the other big thing we're doing a good job with the little Mm -hmm. kids. And I'm seeing too many kids getting overprotected. They're not learning things like shopping. I've got Mm -hmm. lots of grandparents that come up to me and these grandparents find out they're on the autism spectrum when the kids are diagnosed. Mm -hmm. But that grandparent had a paper route. So he learned how to work at age 11.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And we've
2: got to find paperwork, paper route substitutes, like walking dogs for people. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now thing churches are all closed, but when they were open, an ideal thing for a kid to do would be a church volunteer job where mm-hmm. they're doing a task on a schedule outside the home. Right. That's the thing that's really important where somebody else is the boss.
0: Exactly. That, make, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a really great segue as well into what we want to do for our next segment is so we wanted to talk a little bit about disclosure. So like, at work if you tell people that you're on the autism spectrum and also that people kind of based on the work that you do and the work that I do people know that you're autistic so how that relates to your advocacy as well so well
2: when I first started up through the up until the movie happened I'd say half well back in the 80s none of my clients knew mm-hmm. they just thought I was different and then, then there'd be a few that would know and after the movie everybody knew but before the movie I'm I usually never never disclosed Mm-hmm. Now, I would say to people things like, I like to get the real specifics of a job,
1: mm-hmm.
2: where where um, I want to know, okay, your price range, the boundaries of the work, mm-hmm. where there's site restrictions, like a, a water well or a big livestock scale you can't move. Mm -hmm. I also, for tasks to involve a sequence, I need a pilot's checklist. I can't remember sequence. So I'll just say, I'm like a pilot. I need a checklist for how we take apart this milking machine equipment and then put it back together. That's a job I had when I was young. And they actually had a checklist on the wall. Um, So I might just say, you know, "I I need homework on exactly what you want me to do on this project. And, you know, the problem is when you see, now some... People are going to have to disclose. But unfortunately, there's still a lot of discrimination out there. I heard a really awful story where a boy had learned how to fly a plane. He went to get his FFA physical, and he told the doctor he had autism, and they flunked his physical, and they wouldn't give him a pilot's license. Wow. And that was was within the last five years.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah. And some other really bad discrimination things. Uh, Military, don't ask, don't tell if you want to go in the military, but I've talked to a lot of people on the spectrum that have been in the military and actually have done really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this is something you have to use judgment. Um, I would always disclose something like I need a quiet place to work.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You stick me in some open office. I can't stand all the distractions. Right. And you're not the only person who hates some of those open offices.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's a, some specific thing. I, just I think that's you- a
0: great way to advocate for yourself as well. And, Coming from the legal perspective, that's also just a way that's not as formal as like getting accommodations through the ADA is like this is how I work best. Right. And it kind of oh, also puts what the I, would player, do. I can I
2: can I think remember. it puts
0: supervisors in a position of power too, because they, cause I always tell people like I work best when I have clear instructions. Yeah. And it's a way that just everybody knows what that means and it helps instead of saying like I need you to do this, this, and this to accommodate me, it's more like I just need clear instructions or right. I work best when you do that. So it's like you will get the, what you want from me and I will be able to do my job better.
2: Well, that's what I did when I do a project, I've done some writing projects, which have been mm-hmm. team writing projects mm-hmm. and they were on animal welfare guidelines and we had like 20 people on this committee. And I just sat in this meeting at 20 people. and I said, I like homework. I propose I write this section of the document. I will, I will have it done by this date. And then I asked about the, some stuff about how they want the references done. And I produced my piece. But then I also have to be loyal to the whole project. When I found a mistake in somebody else's part of the document, strictly a mistake, mm-hmm. I correct it, no track changes, let it go through. Got to get the document out the door and you don't rub their nose on it. It was a mm-hmm. technical mistake. It was just wrong. I just corrected it and sent it on through. Because the ultimate job is we've got to get the document finished and get it published.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and, but I like a clear thing on what I'm supposed to do. I write this chapter. I do this. And that well, makes a lot of sense.
1: I think. I think also people that aren't educated about autism, if you disclose, I'm, you know, just kind of the blanket, I have autism. They they don't really know what that means. But when you all explain like these kind of specific um, instructions and what you need, it's 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 so much helpful for everybody involved, and it's it's. It, it it must have been a lot of trial and error um, to for you all to know a how to how to um, delineate what your needs are to other people.
2: Well, they, they I went to a disability conference uh, two years ago, uh, and one of the big problems I'm seeing is that it's too much overgeneralization. Right, right. talk about somebody in a wheelchair, somebody uh, that's blind, somebody has autism. And I went to this in, this one talk with this really articulate blind person was trying to get uh, customer service jobs on the phone. Totally mm-hmm. qualified, got turned down by a whole bunch of employers. And I've worked with a lot of corporations and 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 I think the problem is, is they see the guide dog and stuff and I think the HR person panics. He mm-hmm. goes, oh, this is just going to be too difficult. And I suggested this guy should have gone in there and said, okay, you see my dog, you're going, ah! How are you going to accommodate me? And I'll say, I'll give you a two-week free trial. I only, need, I only need one accommodation. You've got to install the special software on your computer, and it will not wreck your system. And my friend's going to come in for the first week to teach my dog and me the layout of the office. I just need this one accommodation. I'll give you a two-week free trial. Wow. And he would have gotten hired. I mean, that's how I would have approached it. Yeah. Because I can see the HR person and I've been in enough corporate offices just panicking and going, Ah, this is just going to be too hard." <laughs> so they hire somebody else.
1: Right. Right. I like the 2 week free trial. It's
2: it's you it's a, it's, a,
1: it's a really it's a really great idea and and you get to prove yourself and it's like, "Okay, just give me the opportunity. I'll I'll, I'll make sure that it'll be okay." Well, it's-
2: And then the way I used to do interviews, you see it's yeah, is I would just show off the portfolio. Now, fortunately, I did kind of work that you could could have in a portfolio. So I'd go in and do an interview, I'd lay a big drawing on the table and a bunch of pictures and some trade journal articles and just let my work sell the job. You could do that too with computer programming, but it needs to be put together neatly presented. Don't send them a, a great big telephone book. Well, I don't know telephone books don't even exist anymore, but a great big, huge catalog of gigantic binder full of stuff. Basically, what you want to do is you want the 30-second wow, something they can look at and go, oh, that's good code. Or you whip out the phone and say, now, here's an app I made for phone. You can try it on this phone, and here's some of the code behind it, and just show the work off. Right. And That's what I used to do. And They'd see the work. That's how I sold Cargill. I sent the head of Cargill back in the late 80s, a portfolio and it had a drawing in it. It had a brochure, some pictures with a, in plastic sleeves and a couple of trade journal articles and cover letter. It's all that was in it. And I designed the front end of every Cargill beef plant in North America. Wow. With that portfolio. It's a 30-second wow. 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 Much junk that, in it.
1: That's amazing. That's really, really cool.
2: The wow. other thing, you got to have the guts to get the card. There's a scene in the HBO movie where I walk up to the editor and I get his card. That scene is true. Mm-hmm. Because I knew that if I wrote for that magazine, it would really help my career. And then a week later, I produced the article. And then I volunteered to write an article every month. And then he started mm-hmm. paying me a little bit. But you got to have the guts to go up and get the card. And then once you get it, you produce the, the work.
0: Definitely. I think that's a really important thing is also like to take those chances. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. Now I need to rewatch the movie
2: after our conversation. Yes. Well, in terms of my career, that's an extremely important scene. Because mm-hmm. I knew with that press pass, I could then get into big national meetings. Right. Mm-hmm. And I went up to the editor of the national meat industry magazine. Mm-hmm. You see, I saw those doors. I think too many people get hung up on the conventional front door to a job. There's mm-hmm. a whole lot of back doors yes, and people are mm-hmm. not seeing them. Right. And I've read a lot of stuff about employment and half mm-hmm. of all good jobs for everybody is back door. It's
0: so true though. It's like who you know and networking and, right. and, and like you, and even when you mentioned mentorship earlier, even just who, who your mentors are in your industry. Like I know as a young attorney, that's something that I'm learning a lot about It's like, Oh, I shouldn't be afraid to ask these older, more experienced lawyers for help or exactly. anything like that. And I think there's kind of this feeling, and I think a lot of young autistic people learn this or that they're told this by neurotypical people is that independent is doing it yourself. And really, it's okay to ask for help or get that mentorship or have some guidance.
2: No, you're absolutely right. Because uh, when I did those dip fat projects that were shown in the movie, I was probably at the 60% level of competence. I had no idea how to do the concrete work. Man, I got on a phone. I was talking to all kinds of people. I got a hold of the USDA and I got drawings. I mean, I was asking all kinds of people because the worst thing I could do is to try to wing that and then do the reinforcement wrong and then the dipping vat would have broke. Right. You see, and this is where people get in real trouble on jobs and they get in over their head Mm -hmm. is when they should be asking for help. They don't.
1: Right, right. And that... And that is a big, big, big issue is knowing when to ask for help. And when you don't know something, it's okay to ask for help. Um, It actually shows wisdom
2: on your part. That's right. To ask for help. Because I have seen like um, guys sometimes will get overconfident. And I've seen a guy that like wreck a refrigeration system at a meat plant because he didn't know anything about it. but he tried to wing it. No, that's something where he should have been asking for help. Right, and, and, and builds gigantic, multi-million dollar mistakes. One jillion dollar mistake, and I was on this project, my cattle stuff worked, but the plant had to close because they didn't have enough wastewater treatment. And this guy that came out of meat sales was the head of the project, we all told him, you don't have enough wastewater treatment. And he didn't listen, and it closed, and the town shut him down. And they were told. That was a multi-million dollar mess wow no i think they uh, but one of my biggest problems i'm seeing is parents that overprotect a kid where mm-hmm. they're not learning things like shopping mm-hmm. basic stuff
0: i've noticed that too and i think i think a lot of parents are afraid and i think that there's kind of this feeling that you, i'm not a parent so i can't really speak to this but i think they're i've noticed even with my friends and things like that is that parents are just afraid that or they think that the, we're not ready in. I wish that they listen sometimes to people who advocate for themselves. And they're like, we at least want the chance to show that we can do this or have support in doing it. And it doesn't mean that we can't do it.
2: Well, I was at an airport one time and a mom and her teenage uh, autistic daughter came up to me Mm -hmm. and we got to talking and I asked the mom if her daughter had ever shopped. And you know what? No, I whipped out a $5 bill and I said, you see that newsstand over there? Go buy something in it. And I gave her the $5 bill and she came back with a change and a drink. And that was the first time she had shopped. Now the Um, newsstand was right across the hall. We could see it. mm
1: -hmm.
2: And that was her first shopping. And she did it in Mm -hmm. an airport. Wow. And I just, I just handed her the $5 bill casually. I said, go buy something in that, in that newsstand. Mm -hmm. That you can get for $5 or Mm -hmm. she bought a drink.
0: Exactly, and I think even little things like that, especially because you and her mom are nearby, so you were supervising, like it's empowering for a young person to have that opportunity to do something for themselves. Like she purposely picked that drink, like just to have that that chance as a young person. I think those steps are things that we need to encourage. And also if it's too much, it's okay if you go with them and you hand them the $5 bill at the
2: counter, for instance. So I
0: think that's a really
2: interesting point. But I was doing this kind of shopping when I was seven and eight years old. -hmm. Right. We had, when we went in a summer place where we used to go, there was this little tiny post office candy store. Mm -hmm. And I would go in there and buy a popsicle. And when I was eight years old, I knew exactly what 50 cents a week would buy. I could get five comics with it, or I could save for two weeks and get a 69 cent airplane. And I was learning that at a very, very young age. Mm -hmm. 50 cents bought a lot of stuff in the 50s. (laughs) But I. It,
0: I think 50 cents, 50 cents buys me a stamp right now. You
2: know, that, yeah, I can remember when the stamps were three cents. <laughs> yeah. Um, but these basic things, mm-hmm. they're not learning. And then I, another time I was down in South America and there was a girl and she would never shopped. And she, um, um, uh, we went, there was some newsstands and she liked National Geographic and this particular place had some, used National Geographic. And I said, you see, there's a National Geographic there. Why don't you just go buy it? And I walked out and she did. Mm-hmm. First time she'd shopped. Right. Another another kid, Um, here's a boy, fully verbal in his teens. His mom was still taking him in the ladies room. Mm-hmm. And we were eating uh, lunch uh, at a restaurant about two o'clock in the afternoon. And the restaurant was not busy at all. And at the end of the meal, I just said to the boy, it's time to use the men's room. And he got up and he used it by himself. It was his first time. The guy, the kid was like 16 years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and this is stuff that's, that's all within the last five years. Right. Right.
1: We, we do, we do a lot of our episodes um, trying to instill empowerment in um, our listeners to um, help them understand that there's so much more than their diagnosis, and there's so many you know different ways to look at the world and experience the world, and mm-hmm. and be independent and happy and successful. And mm-hmm. certainly, you uh, are a testament to to that and such a great mentor to so many people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because and I'm sure
0: so many of our young, li- younger and older listeners alike will be really grateful for the advice that you gave us today too. Well, the
2: other thing, I've been out to Silicon Valley to the major tech companies. Those programmers, half of them are on the spectrum. Of course. And That's you true. know what happens? They avoid the labels. Now, right. where the label is helpful is in marriages and relationships. Mm-hmm. I had, I had a, a lady come up to me at the Denver airport and she says, we are book thinking and pictures. helped me understand my engineering husband. Mm-hmm. We saved our marriage. Wow. Um, but you look at those programmers. Well, they're all on the milder end of the spectrum and they're, they're holding down really good jobs. Great jobs. And and then there's another kid where nobody thought to teach the kid programming. Right. I've seen situations where you might have a math kid, both parents work in the computer industry and they didn't start to think, to teach their, start teaching their kid programming.
1: Right.
2: When you got free stuff online for teaching programming or really inexpensive books you can get for teaching. it. Right. They just had, they got so locked into the diagnosis. Exactly. They didn't think to teach their kid that you, this kid could be a computer programmer. Right. He was a math kid. Right. And right. he's getting bored in school because they're making him do baby <laughs> stuff over and over again when he might probably ought to be doing high school math. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to do this new, crazy common core stuff. Old fashioned math books that are all I feel, numbers.
0: That's what no. are. I feel like we got a lot of advice today.
1: That's yeah, great.
0: And I know there's so much that we could talk about and I want to just be respectful again of your time, Dr. Grandin. And I'm so grateful that you joined us today and thank you so, so much for those of you who want to learn more about how, incredible dr grandin is and how lucky we are to have her as someone that i know a lot of young autistic folks and myself included looked up to as children and teenagers because there aren't that many autistic adults that we knew who were successful or that we knew that were out there if you want to learn more visit templegrandin.com and for the rest of us be sure to check out differentbrains.org and check out their twitter and instagram at diffbrains and don't forget to look for them on facebook if you're looking for me i could be found at haleymoss.net or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Haley Moss Art. I can be found at cfiexperts.com. Please be sure to subscribe and rate us on
1: iTunes, and don't hesitate to send questions to spectrumlyspeaking at gmail.com. Let's keep the conversation going.
0: Spectrumly Speaking is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.